Good evening, everyone. It's good to see each one. We are thankful to be here with you. We praise the Lord for the opportunity and for the invitation and uh, for the, the privilege to uh, proclaim God's word to you tonight. Also, I would like to say as I begin, we certainly do appreciate your prayers and the cards that have been sent to us expressing those prayers were a blessing to us and we want to we thank you for that as well. If you have your Bibles with you, I hope you do, turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. We are only going to look specifically at a few verses in this chapter, but for for contextual purposes, let's quickly read the, the chapter in its entirety together. 2 Peter chapter 1. Simon Peter, a servant, this, the Greek word behind this English word is doulos, and that means slave, not really servant in the way we think of servant, slave. Simon Peter, a slave and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them who have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of, our, and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ." But he that lacketh these things is blind, and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, or in other words, don't be like this, don't be like verse 9, but rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. For, an, for, an, for so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Wherefore, I will not be neg- negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it, I think it meet, I think it right, I think it needful, I think it necessary, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able, after after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty, For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. 
And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mountain. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well, that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So let me begin tonight by asking us all a question. What is the desire of your life? Christian, what is the desire of your life? Or maybe it would be better asked as a Christian, as a born-again child of God, what should be the desire of your life? Now, we may have a hard time narrowing that down, but we should know Saints of old, they did not have that hard time narrowing it, that, that down. Not many of them anyway. I'm sure we all remember Moses, right? He said, Lord, I beg you, show me your glory. Show me more of you. The psalmist David repeatedly cried out to God, Yahweh, Lord, teach me, show me your ways. Teach me, show me you. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Philippi church, he told them that he had one single surpassing desire in his life. Matter of fact, he said everything else compared to that one desire, he said it was just like garbage to him. It was just like something that we pay today to have taken away from us, to have taken away from our house. His one supreme desire was to know Christ. To know Christ and to know the power of His resurrection. His one first consuming desire was to know the power of the risen Christ in His life so that He could be more like Him. And then, of course, there is the Apostle Peter here. I don't know if you caught it when we read, but Peter and Paul must surely have, must surely have had the same faith or that light, precious faith because they definitely had the same desire. There was there is a word repeated throughout this text over and over in the first chapter, and then it continues throughout this letter. Did anyone notice what that word was? It's the word knowledge. Knowledge. In verse 2, it's the knowledge of God. In verse 3, it's the knowledge of Him. In verse 8, it's the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter, he even talks here about this knowledge being added to in the life of a Christian. So, we should desire and have a growing knowledge of God. Our desire, our desire for our lives as born again children of God should be to have the knowledge and have a growing growing knowledge. To have knowledge and a growing knowledge. Knowledge. Let's say that again for us Sovereign Grace Baptist Church Baptist people, because a lot of times we think we get, we got it all we got it all right, right? Y'all know I pastor people just like y'all. I know how they think. I am just like y'all. I know how I think sometimes. We think we got it all right. We listen. If you got it all right, then you don't line up with this text of scripture, because Peter is saying we should desire to have a knowledge and have a growing knowledge 
add to the, if you read, read over here in, in uh, let me find it, just to point it out. And besides this, verse 5, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue, knowledge. Have knowledge, and then add to that knowledge. So we should desire to know the Lord and have a growing knowledge of Him. And this growing knowledge of God, this growing knowledge of Christ Jesus and the things that come with it, more knowledge, as I just mentioned, that list that he gives us here, temperance, that's self-control, patience, godliness, kindness, love. Peter says here that these things make us fruitful and they prove our election and calling and our entrance into the kingdom of God. If you read that little section there, that's what he's saying. These things are what prove our election and calling and our entrance into the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, Peter goes so far as to say here that he was going to continue uh, to repeatedly remind them of what they should desire as God's people, this growing knowledge of God, so that when he is dead, they won't forget and be led away by the false prophets, the false teachers of chapter 2, verse 1. So, if we weren't sure before, we should be now what all of us as children of God and slaves of Jesus Christ ourselves, by the way, that's what we are as Christians. Many Christians don't know that. They think when they say, when they say Christ is Lord and they say the Lord Jesus Christ, well, that, that's just, you know, something you say. No, that word means master. And a slave is who calls a master a master. So as the children of God... And as slaves of Jesus Christ, we should desire the knowledge of God. We should desire to know Him, to know Him in His triune glory, to know God the Father, to know God the Son, to know God the Spirit, and be growing in knowledge of Him. And so this being the case, the question then becomes... How do we know Him and grow in knowledge of Him? We should have a desire. It should be our surpassing desire. Listen, the the Apostle Paul who said, Oh, that I might know Him. Throw everything else away. Just let me have Christ Jesus and let me know Him and let me know the power of the risen Christ in my life so that I might be more like Him. You understand, the Apostle Paul, we put him way up here on this pedestal. If you'll listen to his letters, what he says about himself in his letters, he is not way up here on this pedestal. He's way down here. He is absolutely imitatable. In other words, what I say, a lot of people, when we talk about Jesus, well, he's Jesus. Okay, that's a given. But the Apostle Paul was not Jesus. The Apostle Paul was the chief of sinners by his own admonition, by his own admission. He's imitatable. So we should desire to know and to be growing in the knowledge of Christ. So how then do we know Him and how do the, then do we grow in the knowledge of Him? I mean, surely we realize that we are not going to come to know God by the philosophies and the philosophers of this world. Do we all know that? If we didn't know it before, surely the last few years have proven 
that we can't trust our leaders, we can't trust the talking heads of the world about anything, especially about God, especially about Him. So we're not going to learn about our triune God, the God of heaven and earth, by the talking heads of this world, the philosophers and the philosophies of this world. So if we can't trust our leaders to, to teach us about God, then okay, what? I guess we need to turn to religion then, right? I guess religion will tell me the truth, right? Religion can be trusted, can it? Religion can be trusted, can it? Well, let me say it like this. The greatest religion that ever existed, God's own religion, sinful men so defiled it with their vain traditions that when God himself came to them, they didn't even recognize him let alone know Him, they didn't even recognize Him. When God Himself came to them, in fact, they hated Him. In fact, they murdered Him, and all the time they were doing all of that, they did it in, in, the, in the name of serving Him. They didn't know Him. So, no, listening to religion is not the answer either. Well, okay, if I can't trust the world... and I can't trust its religions, then you know what? I, I'm just going to go up on the mountain and commune and be alone with nature and get to know God like that. And surely you will see aspects of God like that. But it still won't work. It still won't work. You can't know and grow in knowledge of Him this way either. And the reason why, the Apostle Paul tells us clearly that we, all of us, sin and fall short of the glory of God. Meaning, what he meant by that is our imagination, our mind, God is so far above our ability to comprehend of ourselves. Of ourselves, of ourselves, we will always, always miss the mark of His reality. He's way up here, but our thinking lands somewhere down in here. We will always, of ourselves, we will always miss the mark of his, his reality. We will always make Him out to be more like man than the God that He is. And that is called idolatry. And idolatry provokes the fierce anger of God. Read the little prophet of Zephaniah. You'll see it there. Okay. So if the primary desire of our life should be to know God and to be growing in knowledge of God, but none of these ways will accomplish that, then how can we actually know God? How can we grow in knowledge of Him? How? Well, I'm glad you asked. And actually, Peter is too. Because he has something very important to tell us here about knowing and growing in the knowledge of God. Actually... He tells us how he knows and how he grows in the knowledge of God. Notice verse 16 through 18 again. He says, he writes, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were 
with him in the holy mount. So do we all hear what Peter is saying? Peter is saying, I know God, I know Christ Jesus, and not because someone told me a story about him. I know him personally. I saw him glorified. I saw him transfigured with my own eyes. I heard him speaking from heaven with my own ears while me and James and John were up on the mountain. I know God, I know Christ Jesus as God from personal experience. And indeed, what an experience it was. What an experience it must have been, right? I think we read those texts of Scripture, those, the, the account of the transfiguration of Christ Jesus, and we really don't get it. We just kind of fly right over it. It was something else. Matter of fact, to that end, let me, let me ask you something. I'm taking a chance here. I'm walking out on a ledge. Y'all get ready. Has anyone here, has anyone here ever seen the glorified Christ with their own eyes personally? Go ahead, raise your hands if you have. Have anyone here ever seen the glorified Christ with your own eyes? Anyone? No hands raised. Has anyone here then... Okay. Has anyone here ever heard the audible voice of God thundering from heaven with their own ears? Anyone? No one. No one's raising their hands for y'all that are in the front. No one. No one here has seen the glorified Christ with their own eyes. No one here has heard the audible voice of God thundering from heaven. No one. Not one. Okay. Okay, so let me, let me get this straight. So Peter's personal physical experience far exceeds any of our personal physical experience. Even in this day where feeling and experience is the be-all, end-all to, to, and supreme authority. Okay? But yet, we can all plainly see that Peter, Peter's personal physical experience was much more than any of us have experienced. Correct? Is that right? And we all need to see that clearly. Because as great as Peter's experience surely was, he is about to tell us that there is something greater. None of us have even, even got close to the level of Peter's experience. Let me just say it, okay? No one right now living on the earth has ever got even close to the physical experience of the Apostle Peter. No one. And yet he says, as great as that experience is, he's about to tell us here, there's something greater. There's something greater. Even Peter's amazing experience with Christ himself on the Mount of Transfiguration was not the be-all, end-all. Even his experience there was not the supreme and final authority for knowing and growing in the knowledge of God. There is something more than experience. There is something more sure. I think we read that somewhere, right? There is something more sure. That, that phrase more sure means more forceful, more valid, more reliable than experience. Even this kind of experience that Peter's talking about here which no one on this earth right now has had. In other words, our 
experience, even great miraculous experiences, may fail us. We may misinterpret those experiences. (laughs) Actually, remember, Peter did just that, didn't he? Remember what he said? Lord, whoo, it's good we're here. It's good. Let, let, let's build three tabernacles. Let's build three places of worship. You remember how quickly the Lord shut that down. And he says, Peter, listen to me. This is my beloved son. You listen to him. You listen to him. So Peter absolutely knows that when it comes to really truly knowing and growing in the knowledge of of the Lord, there's something more than experience, even an experience like his. There's something more sure. In other words, there is a supreme authority. There is a final authority. What is it? What is it, church? You see it in verse 19? A more sure word of prophecy a more sure word of prophecy and then in verse 20 he clarifies that title for us by by saying no prophecy of the scripture so the word this 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 make this this more sure word of prophecy is scripture this more sure word of prophecy is scripture. By the way, we might suppose that Peter here, when he writes of the scriptures, is referring to the Old Testament scriptures. And he is, but that's not all. If you just flip forward a couple pages, you will notice, if you notice chapter 3, verse 16, you will see that Peter includes Paul's letters with the other or the rest of scripture. So when Peter writes here in the inspiration of the Spirit of the Scriptures being the more sure word of prophecy, even trumping experience, even trumping his experiences, he, Peter understands that the Holy Spirit means all of the Scriptures. The New and the Old Testament Scriptures. So this more sure word of prophecy, the supreme source, the final authority, even greater, even more reliable and authoritative than the greatest of all experiences for the supreme source, the final authority for knowing and growing in the knowledge of God, which should be all of our chief desire in life. It is the Scripture. This book. And we got it all, y'all. This book. This is the source. This is the authoritative, final, authoritative source for knowing God and growing in the knowledge of Him. Y'all got one of those in your, in your hand? You got it. You got it. I got it. By God's grace, we have it. And we have it like no other generation has. In other words, we ought to know God more and be growing in, growing in the Lord more than any other generation has ever. But are we? Hmm. All right, y'all all with me so far? Okay, so wait though, okay? Let's not stop there. We see what the final, what, by God's word, what the final, the supreme source of authority is for knowing and growing God. But why is it so? Let's, let's not just make a statement and then 
not be able to back it up. Why is, why is it that this book is the supreme authority, the final authority that trumps all other experience for knowing and growing in God? Why is it? Why are the scriptures the supreme authority for knowing and growing in the knowledge of God? Well, look at verse 20, 21. Paul, uh, Peter tells us, he tells us with two negative statements and a positive statement, the why. He tells us the why. Two negative statements and a positive statement. The first negative in verse 20, notice it. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. This word translated interpretation, private interpretation, or one's own interpretation here, it's an interesting word. It has the meaning of untying something. Okay? So Peter is saying that scripture did not come about by someone, by a man, untying the truth of everything. You know, by a man seeing everything and figuring everything out and then, then writing down the explanation of everything, of it all, in a book. Okay? That's not how it happened. That's not how it happened. That's not what this book is. This is not a man's book, a man who figured it all out as he looked around. You know, a man who, who had these theories in his head and, and he thought, well, this, might, this is probably the way it happened. So let me write it down real quick so I, where I won't forget. And boom, we have, that's not this book. Okay? The second, then the second negative is in 21. For the prophecy came not in old time, by the will of man. In other words, though this book was written by men, by the pen of men, it wasn't conceived from them. It wasn't conceived from their, their will. That's not what this book is. In other words, this book is not just another book that men or a man or a person has written. That's not this book. And now the positive. Boom, no, that's not it. Boom, no, that's not it. Why then? But, last half of verse 21, but holy men of God spake as they were moved, as they were carried along. They spake as they were carried along by the Holy Ghost, God the Spirit. The uh, New American Standard Bible translates these verses like this, but know this first of all, that no prophecy of the scripture is a matter of one owns interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So do we all hear what Peter is saying? The why, the reason that the scriptures trump all other authority and experience, the reason that the scriptures are the end-all, be-all for knowing and growing in the knowledge of God is because the scriptures are not from this world, and the scriptures are not from religion, and the scriptures are not from fallen men who all inherently can and will get God wrong. The scriptures are from God Himself. This book is the word and the words of and from God Yahweh Himself. It originates in Him. It comes forth from Him and from Him alone. This is from the Lord our God Himself. And since this book is from God, since this, this is the very breath over His lips, 
That's how Paul described it in his letter to Timothy. Since this is from God, look at verse 19. Since this is from God, this book is the shining light in the midst of darkness. In other words, this book shines as the truth. This book shines as the truth of the God of truth Himself. The God of everything, everyone and everywhere. This book is, shines from the God of truth Himself. This book, this book is the truth in the midst of error and deception. In other words, the world and its religions, even we, may get God wrong, but this book never will. It never will. And since our desire should be to know and to grow in the knowledge of God, if everything else may get, God's, get God wrong, it's actually everything else is inclined to get God wrong. But this is not. This will always get him right. You all see the connection, right? You see the path we should be taking, right? Well, we don't, we don't even, you don't even have to hear that from me. Just keep looking for what Peter says and 19, since this book is from God, since this book is light, or it is truth, still verse 19, see it? We do well. We do well. That word means we are right. We are correct. We are correct. Since this book is from God, since it is light in the midst of darkness, in the, in the, in the midst of deception, we do well. We are right. We are correct. When we take heed when we give attention to, when we believe and do what it says. We are correct, we are right, since this is God's book. Our God, our Creator's book. Since it has come from Him, we are right and correct when we believe and do what this book says. We are Correct when this book is our final authority of faith and practice. We are correct, we are right when this book, when it informs us, when it teaches us, when it rebukes us, when it corrects us, when it trains us in righteousness, when it equips us and fits us for service, when it governs our thinking and governs our life, we are right, we are correct when this book does that. Matter of fact, according to Peter here, if we are looking for a higher plateau, a greater source than this book for knowing and growing in the knowledge of God, we're going to have to wait until the day dawn and the day star appears in our heart. Basically, we're going to have to wait till the sun himself appears in the sky. And I would say that that experience alone will trump this book. But even that is not really true. That experience will just fulfill this book. That experience will just prove this book's authority, prove this book's perfection, prove this book's sufficiency all the more. When Christ comes as He is coming, when we see Him face to face, we're going to say, yes, Lord, Your book was right. You revealed to us exactly who Christ is. And we see Him with our own eyes and now we know You were telling us the truth. You did not lie. This book. So this is what the title Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone, means. 
It should be easy, it should be obvious to us that this is not something that some men, a few men came up with in the 1500s, right? We understand that. The scriptures themselves, God himself, God himself teaches the sufficiency of the scriptures in the scriptures. The God who will never lie to us, who is truth and light in the midst of darkness, tells us that his word is sufficient. Scripture alone is the final authority. Scripture alone is, is the sufficient, the only sufficient authority for knowing and growing in the knowledge of God. Sola Scriptura. So now, let's just take a moment and bring all of this to application. Actually, let's bring it right into this building. Right into this building. Right into the gathering place of God's people. This is where one of Christ's churches meets, right? A church made up of people whose supreme desire in life should be knowing and growing in the knowledge of their God and Savior. And that being the case, it should be easy for us to understand that it is no accident then that the church is also where God has placed His spiritual shepherds for His people, for His sheep in this age. He's always, God has always provided spiritual shepherds for His sheep, for His people. You can go in the Old Testament and you can read that. Okay, And today... He provides shepherds. He provides spiritual shepherds for His sheep. He provides them to His people through His churches. They are the church's elders or pastors. And one of the requirements for all of the church's elders is that they must be able to teach. They are required to hold the office of elder. They are required to have this gifting of being able to teach because the main, one of the main and primary ways in which they shepherd, in which they care for, mature, and strengthen the sheep of God is through teaching. All this being the design of God, the good design of God. Okay? You follow me? Good, because now it's test time. All right, you ready? According to what we have learned tonight in, from our text in Second Peter, if you have these sheep that need to be shepherded by knowing and growing in the knowledge of God, and you have these shepherds who do this by teaching the sheep, then what, how then, should the shepherds teach the sheep? How should the shepherds teach the sheep? And sheep, let me get close to you now. What should you desire? What's green pastures to you? What should you should, should desire? And I, I, think, I, can, I think I can say with authority, it's even stronger than that. What should you demand, sheep? To be fed, to be taught. Okay, remember, according to what we learned tonight, I mean, the answer is pretty obvious. It's a pretty easy test, right? I mean, should the teacher, should the shepherds 
teach the world's philosophies? No. Should the, should the shepherds teach, teach about his or your favorite religious tradition? No. I will remind us that Jesus himself, our Lord, our master himself, fiercely condemned the religious elite of Israel for making their own religious traditions of more authority than the scriptures. In other words, let me get right, real, right, right and real with y'all. If your rule of practice and faith is, well, this is what we've always believed, or this is what we've always done, regardless of what the scriptures actually teach, you are denying the sufficiency and the supremacy of the scripture. That's the reality. As well, you are even, align, even aligning yourself with the religious pretenders of Jesus' day to whom he told his people, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. So no, your shepherds, your teachers should not teach you their or your favorite religious traditions. I'm not saying that all religious traditions are bad. Wearing a tie, is a t- though, is a terrible religious tradition. <laughs> Let's just say it. I, I go one step further. We can get rid of these too for all I care. But I'm not saying they're all bad. But they cannot trump the scriptures. Your religious tradition, my religious tradition, cannot be the final rule of our faith and practice. It doesn't matter how long we've been doing it, how right we think we are. If the scriptures teach something else, we better back off of that and get in line with the scriptures. Because it is the final source of rule and faith. One more. Should your shepherds, your elders, teach his own ideas or his own favorite hobby horse doctrines? We all got them, y'all. We all got those hobby horse doctrines. And we love them. And, And in most cases, if they're biblical doctrines, there's nothing wrong with loving them. But as a shepherd, if that's all I ever teach the sheep, then they'll never grow, grow of any, in any of their stature than my stature. And if that's all, as a pastor, as an elder, that I desire for my sheep, it's for them to be like me, man, they need to run me out the back door and out of town because there's something much, much greater than me, than us, that we all should aspire to be like. So no, 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 to all of these... No. So what should they teach? What should you desire to be taught? Your teacher, your spiritual shepherds should teach you this book. Man, it's just so simple, isn't it? God has given us 66 books of the Bible. And he's got his sheep in this world. And in his churches, he's provided for the building up of those sheep by his shepherds that he has placed there. He's placed both the sheep and the shepherds there. He knows what he's doing. And so he says, all right, equip them. You know, reprove, rebuke, exhort. He even tells the sheep, highly esteem him, listen to him, 
listen to him. <laughs> he even goes so far as to say, listen to them. If he's guiding you wrong, I'll blame him. But if you're following him, I'll still blame him. Even though you may be wrong. That's the kind of authority that he's placed on the shoulders of pastors. So what is it that we should teach this book? He's given us his book. This is God's book. What should you desire to, for them to teach to you? This book. This book. Let's go a little further. If we're going to teach this book, if we're going to actually, actually be taught this book, we're actually going to be taught so that we can understand this book. To know and grow in the knowledge of God. How should we teach this book? How should we be taught this book? Well, here's a novel idea. How about we just teach it as God has given it to us? It's God's word. And we should teach and preach all of it. All of it. Beginning at chapter 1. Verse 1, followed by chapter 1, verse 2, verse 3, one verse after one verse, one chapter after another, one book after another. After all, this is how our all-wise God inspired, breathed it out to us, right? This book is not a hodgepodge of antidotes. No, this book is a collective. It is a collective of all collective that amazingly, miraculously comes together as a single story of how our glorious God and merciful Savior has chosen and purposed and set out to save and reconcile fallen, dead, and dying sinners through the substitutionary, propitiatory sacrifice of His perfect Son, His perfect Christ, Christ Jesus. So saints, this book is from our God, our true and living God. This book is from Him. God breathed this glorious gift for us. This book, it is light, it is life, and it is love. So what could be more important than you knowing this book? Really, what could be more important than you knowing Him? Him. What, could, what other desire could you have that should be elevated above knowing Him? In all of your life, in all of your living saints, what other desire do you have that is elevated over knowing this God? This is His book. The entire book is the self-revelation of Himself, by Himself, to us. What could possibly be more important than learning this book? And saints, what could be more needful for you? What could be more needful for your life lived on this earth? What could be more needful for your eternal soul than knowing and understanding Him. 
What is it? Or in the words of your own pastor. We should be a people of the book whose heart's cry is give us the book. Give us the book. Give us the book. Teach to us. Preach to us the book. Sola Scriptura. Scripture alone. 